Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. You what? need to wash your hands after you use the restroom. Yes. With Steve Cofield. I like messing with him, but he's got the perfect face for radio. <laughs> Adam Candy. This is gotcha journalism. You know what? They're not going to gotch me. It's time for Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Do it live and local. Cofield and Company. So we get ready for a big hockey day here in Las Vegas. Plenty on the Raiders, more on college football. Legal insider Justin Watkins on the craziness in Washington State with Nick Rolovich, a Power Five coach, fired on monday and now uh maybe it'll be time to go to the courts plenty to get to adam candy is here ari's back in our finley toyota studios we're housed today by battleborn injury lawyers angels out here helping us out we uh, come right out of the gates with a prize three six four eleven hundred call or seven three six four one one zero zero it's case to listen all three hours um here you go how about las vegas Seltzerland event coming up saturday angel park you can spend the afternoon tasting 30 plus unique Hard seltzers. That is a growing market. Love that stuff. Ticket start at 39 bucks. We've got a pair of tickets. You can get your own tickets at eventbrite.com. 364-1100-364-1100. Ari will hook you up. It's Trending at 3. Presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. What's up, Candy? Candy giving us a silent treatment. You know what? Why? Why do you treat me that way? Why you treat me that way? Why? Why? Why you make me feel like I'm I'm left behind somehow? What's up, Steve Cofield? How you doing? Wasn't me. Wasn't me. Not my fault this time. Generally my fault. I'm good. I'm actually uh, I'm very fired up for a big hockey week. Uh, it's been a weird time for the Golden Knights as they come out of the gates one and one, and then they suffer some really severe injuries. Uh, including two of their biggest stars. And now we know Leonard's going tonight. The Blues are a good team. The Oilers are a good team. We think the Islanders are a good team. This is actually kind of a big week of basically coming out of the gates for VGK. I think if you take Robin Leonard out of the equation because he plays a completely unique position, um, you probably could not take two more impactful players away from the Golden Knights. And if you're thinking, duh, because of the scoring, uh, it really is beyond that. I mean, because it's not just about Max Pacioretty being out for weeks with a broken foot and who knows how long for Mark Stone. It's about what it does to the rest of the lineup. It's about bringing in multiple new players. It's about mixing up other lines, potentially. It it really is something that the Golden Knights are going to have to learn on the fly here because they didn't look great in game one and they look terrible in game two. So it's not like you had a juggernaut that you're trying to, you know, just say, oh, well, let's, let's do what we can to keep it going. Uh, this is sort of uncharted territory for the Golden Knights. It'll be Leonard. It'll be Bennington for the Blues. Uh, Blues are out to a 2-0 start. They've been scoring a lot of goals, giving up goals too, but a 12-goal a goal so far on the season. Uh, that said, the Knights have dominated this series. Actually, 5-6 they've won uh, here in Sin City against St. Louis. Uh, last night, it looked like the Lakers were going to roll by the uh, formerly woeful Golden State Warriors. What the hell happened down the stretch? Well, a funny thing happened on the way to that victory. Golden State scores 38 in the fourth. And, you know, what, what got me with Steve was I looked at the box score. If the Golden State Warriors' leading score was Steph Curry with 21, that is an enormous statement on 
either, and you can take your pick here, the Lakers' defense or the depth of the Golden State Warriors prior to even getting Clay Thompson back as he continues to rehab. So the biggest problem, I think, is that you look at the Lakers and say, yeah, Russell Westbrook kind of no-showed last night. Uh, 4 of 13 for 8 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists in 35 minutes played. And you get 67 out of LeBron and AD, and you feel like, all right, Lakers are exactly where they want to be, but here we are again. No other Laker was in double figures. And after the game, Russ was being pretty hard on himself. LeBron and, and Anthony Davis were both like, hey, hey, easy. Game one, it's okay. You're going to be fine. LeBron told him to go home and watch a comedy. Get a laugh. <laughs> See your three babies. Uh, Russ might not be built that way. And I'm kind of wondering how long it's going to take for him to, to sink in with who these Lakers are because that tension that, that he brings can certainly be the sort of thing that everyone feels on the court. Yeah, LeBron needs to tell him, dude, we need you to be alpha sometimes, but when we're both here, AD and myself, he, there's no pressure on you. I mean, there's some. Obviously, you don't want him putting up the game that he did last night, but dial it down. There are spots when you need to be the alpha. When all three of us are together, you don't need to be. No need. No need. And that's such a change, right? I mean, we, we see it happen all the time in professional sports, and I think the perfect example is on the roster with Russell Westbrook. It's Carmelo Anthony, right? Carmelo Anthony's career was basically dead when he was insistent upon continuing to try to be Carmelo Anthony of the past, not accepting a bench role, not accepting, um, you know, I'm not even going to say second string, more of even a third string to a guy like LeBron James. And look how Carmelo Anthony's career has been reborn coming mm -hmm. off the bench. He's had a whole second life. I'm not saying Russell Westbrook's skills have eroded to the point of where Carmelo Anthony is, but there certainly is something to be said for the fact that Carmelo Anthony accepted a different type of role that maybe Russell Westbrook's going to have to take on on this team. Massive news in the NFL, and we started addressing this on Cofield and Company the last couple of days. We're not a you know, local Brown show, but we were talking about Baker Mayfield with these injuries, dislocated shoulder, torn labrum in the left shoulder, that they might have to shut him down at some point. And because of the NFL's love of primetime TV, and I like watching the games, but it does bring up integrity issues and health concerns on a short week. Mayfield not available to play, so it's going to be Case Keenum for the Browns, which should certainly be of concern to the Raiders. They would like to put some distance between themselves and the Broncos. Now the Broncos get to play against Case Keenum. I was surprised by the line movement. There really wasn't much line movement. I guess it went through a key number, but is there really like only a one-and-a-half, two-point difference between Baker Mayfield and Case Keenum? And I think it's helpful with this line to know where it came from and where it went because this thing opened five on Sunday, and even with the uncertainty around Baker Mayfield, was already bought down to three and a half pretty quickly. And then you see the news that Baker's officially out, and you take another point off uh, for Case Keenum. So I, I think it was a little bit baked in, not only in the original number, but in, by, by the market. Um, you know, I thought Baker Mayfield would play. I'm on the wrong side of this one. Um, you know, I, I laid with the Browns at more than a field goal, and that probably was not wise uh, until getting confirmation that he would go. But we've already seen him playing through this injury for multiple weeks. Um, and maybe because of that, maybe the Cleveland Browns aren't in as bad of shape as we think they are because you've been getting a hobbled and, frankly, not terribly effective Baker Mayfield for three weeks now. So you hear Candy mention, hey, it was already baked into the number. Like he knows that because he's been around sports gambling. He covers sports gambling for legalsportsreport.com. You've got some experience in this stuff. 
Uh, there are a lot of bettors out there who are brand new to the game. There are a lot of betting experts, in air quotes, who are new to the game. I've never heard of some of these people, and now they're giving out picks. And Well, the NFL is concerned. The NFL is concerned about us who have been perennial losers and a lot of the new bettors. What is this uh, sort of guardrails they're putting up here? Is uh, The NFL is launching a comprehensive, responsible betting education and awareness initiative. The NFL is going to be the first of the major pro leagues to do anything, I'm going to say proactive, even though they really did buy in with seven different sports betting partners before announcing this, right. even though it wasn't that far ahead, ultimately. So full disclosure on this, I sit on an advisory committee for the National Council on Problem Gambling, which is the partner for the NFL in this. It's $6 million over the course of three years that the NFL is putting into responsible betting. You're going to see more of those messages into the broadcasts, which is good because every other ad on a broadcast right now feels like it's for one of the huge sports books out there, whether it's BetMGM or Caesars or FanDuel or DraftKings or, you know, any of the other huge sports books that are rushing for customers here at the moment. So, you know, the remarkable part of all of it continues to be that it wasn't all that long ago that the NFL was talking about the irreparable harm that gambling would cause to the league. Now it, of course, has flipped wholly the other direction. I don't want to take all credit away. If you're going to put money into it and you're going to give some amount to NCPG that they say is actually a big deal for them. NCPG is the one out there saying we can exponentially increase our efforts with this money. And we're hoping that MLB and NBA and some other leagues jump behind it in the same way. So we have a, a big issue that has popped up the last couple of days when it comes to the rookie gambler, right? The people who are new to gambling. And I'm not going to say the newly minted experts, because I think there might be something at work here. Uh, I don't know if you noticed it. Sammy P brought it up yesterday. Sam Paniotovich, who's a guy who worked in town, uh, is now with Nesson and Fox Sports as a gambling guru. And he pointed out that Colin Cowherd's new podcast network, Volume Sports, had an expert put out a same game parlay of this is Monday Night Football. Titans plus six, Bills money line, Bills first half minus three and a half, and Bills team total over 14 and a half in the first half. It lost. Um, I just noticed a, a, another gentleman online saying that uh, the you know normal hold we know on, on betting is somewhere between whatever, three and a half and five percent. Apparently, these same game parlays are taking off and early numbers are showing candy that the hold on these for the books is 30 percent 30 percent it's an enormous number it is it's an enormous unbelievable number. that is, um, that is you are a loser if you are playing same game parlay single game parlays and yet i don't want to crush the expert because we have partnerships with these experts and their sites are they doing their job? Should they say, like you said, full disclosure? Should they say full disclosure? I'm working with this book or that book. If they're pitching single game parlays and the hold is 30%. And the real question here is why are they pushing the single game parlays? Is that really what they wanted to bet? Is that what they decided was their bet for the day? Uh -oh. Or were they encouraged? Were they encouraged to push a single game parlay? Were they encouraged to put a, a specific type of bet out there by their partners? I don't know the answer to that. But I do know that 
if you're not calculating the math on your parlays, uh, <laughs> you could be paying wildly different prices on any particular set of two, three, four, five outcomes that you're putting together. Veteran better and our legal insider here at ESPN Las Vegas, Justin Watkins, is on the way. We'll get into uh, his take on some of this new betting stuff that's out there and also the Nick Rollover story. It's gigantic, and there was a, a ton of chatter online. Lawsuits, lawsuits. Nova Home Loans brings you Trending at 3. It's a refi rate at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. He sends it high and deep. Way back right center field. We are tied. Cody Bellinger strikes again. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to lay down the law. Only on Cofield and Company. He's our ESPN Las Vegas legal insider. Justin is here. Candy as well. Battleborn Injury Lawyers Studios on a Wednesday. So Candy and I were just talking about uh, something new that's kind of popped up in the world of sports gambling. First of all, there's a ton of new sports gambling experts. Uh, You've got sports books, um, you know, some that are based here and some that have popped up around the country backing a lot of gambling content now, which is always kind of tricky. So, you know, in years past, we, we would deal with touts, right? And you're like, well, is it could a tout potentially be, if you go back to the old days of the boiler rooms, could they be on the phones, you know, back to back selling both sides of the pick, right? Right. Still, still making money, but uh, you know, at least they're guaranteed to have 50% winners. Um, and there was always an issue with touts. So in the case of what we just talked about, we were talking about single game parlays are blowing up, which means you, you know, you put four or five, um, you know, sides or index props totals into the same prop and they're, they don't win. I mean, the reported hold on these is about 30% versus the normal hold, which is about three to 6%. And I was just pointing out that you know, certain sites have partners that are sports books. Well, what if they're pushing this stuff out? at the behest of sportsbooks. Is there something wrong with that? There's something wrong with it if they're representing to the public that they are looking out for the best interest of the better. So if, like a tout service says, you know, we're going to beat the casinos, we're going to beat the sportsbooks, you know, go with our bets. Now, whether or not they're offering up both sides, I mean, I think I think that happens, right? They do, you know, one tout service has two different brands and they send it out two different ways. Candy, okay. do you believe that? That used to happen, correct? Oh, there's <laughs> if we're going to talk about the world of touts, we could go down yeah. a really deep hole. Yeah, right. So, um, you know, that that has its own problems. But if if there is a betting service that is a service that's being provided to bettors for the and they're representing this is how we're going to beat the sports books and they're offering up bets that the sports book has given them compensation to do. That's fraud. I mean, Candy, do you, no do other you, way. Candy, do you believe that people are the a lot of the new experts are are pitching that though that hey we're here to beat the books? I don't think that's the way it's packaged. No, I, th- I think everyone has had a sort of a reflex reaction to uh, the tout era, and they're trying to do it differently now. But I mean, are people walking up to the edge of that? People who are less experienced in this, people who are trying to make a name for themselves, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I mean, if they are offering up a betting service and they acknowledge, hey, we are backed by the casino or the sports book. You know, we we are backed by this sports book and we are here to offer up, you know, sort of advice as to how to bet. 
well, they I think they've they've told you where this information's coming from and you got to you know buyer beware there. But if but if they're coming at you and saying these are the bets that are going to win and here's what we're playing to win and beat the books, we think this number's wrong and that's why we're going to go. Uh, and at the same time, they're getting compensated by the books to push bets out there that are the, in the best interest of the books. I think they got a fraud problem for sure. Criminal and civil. All right, let's talk about the big story of the week, and that's in college athletics. And we've addressed this over and over and over again. And I, I actually thought it was going to be remedied, but Nick Rolovich took it all the way to the end. He's the Washington State head coach. Uh, he was instructed by the state, all uh, state employees, mandate, got to get vaccinated. He pushed it to the end, and he got fired. He did not get vaccinated. Four other assistants on the Washington State staff got fired. So what exactly happened here? And now what happens from here? Because I've seen a lot of uh, attorneys on Twitter. I don't think most actually went to law school, but I've seen a lot of them say Washington State, the university is in big trouble. Yeah. So let's walk through the process. Uh, so Rolovich did not obviously get vaccinated and put in for a religious exemption. And I think this part's important. So what happens at the university is somebody puts in for a medical or religious exemption, it is it goes through a double blind review, meaning they don't know who the applicant is. There's a, a process at the university, a committee, sorry, a committee at the university that gets all of the exemption requests. They have no idea who anybody is. That's just a number. They look at the request and then they make a judgment call. Once they make the judgment call, it gets sent back and that applicant then becomes aware of whether or not their exemption has been uh, granted or not, and then can appeal. At the uh, appellate part, uh, it then goes to the, from the, the blind committee to the supervisor of the person. And then that person can make, can either adopt the committee's ruling or, or reject it and overrule it. So here, uh, Rolovich, as I understand it, and I don't know the man, filed for a religious exemption as a Catholic. Uh, and as I understand it, all four of the assistants who were fired did a similar sort of religious exemption. And they were all denied by the double blind. Um, and why would they were denied by the double blind? I think we can just we can surmise from the fact that he is a Catholic, that the Pope has said, get <laughs> get the vaccine, that his religious objection to the vaccine is not sincerely held. It's not a sincerely held tenet of his religion, and therefore it's denied. It was, it's a personal choice, not a religious choice. Um, I don't want to get into that, but I think what the university has put into place for the purposes of reviewing medical and religious exemptions is adequate, is good. Now, I don't know specifically what factors that committee addressed or considered and for me to give a full legal opinion on whether or not Rolovich is going to be able to, to sue and win, I guess the reports are already coming out that he's going to sue. I would need to know two things. Number one, what are the factors that the blind committee considers when reviewing for medical and religious exemptions? And number two, I need to see the whole contract. You got me involved in a Twitter. <laughs> I like the way he puts it. You got me involved. Well, I, someone was, Someone was looking to discuss it, and then we both realized quickly the person wanted to go down a rabbit hole with 75 questions on it. I mean, it is, it's a fascinating topic. Workplace issues with uh, mandated vaccines is something that's going on all around the country. Right, and the, the person kept, you know, sort of sending clauses of the contract, and I, and I said, you know, listen, 
just as a general sense from a very broad perspective, I don't see how he wins this case. As long as the review was adequate, I don't see how he wins this case because whether you call it for cause or whether you call it frustration of purpose of the contract, the bottom line is the dude can't coach the team by his own choice. He cannot coach the team. So what's the university supposed to do? They can't continue to pay the guy to, to uh, under contract. They can't. So I, I, whether or not it's you, you find it in the four cause, whether you find it in the general duties, or whether you find it outside the, the four corners of the contract and you go into common law legal theories of literally it's called frustration of purpose. That means some intervening act has come into play since the parties have signed the contract that make performance of the contract impossible. And when that happens, the parties get to walk their separate ways. It's over. Not one party gets to be paid, gets all of what they expected out of the contract, and the other party gets nothing of what they expected out of the contract. I I would be shocked if Rolovich wins any lawsuit against the university or the state unless, again, the review panel has some weird process that they put into place that the factors they consider are are no good. I, I just don't see it. What do you think of this as both a coach and his responsibilities? Like, how should he have handled this? Just your opinion. And I also wonder, as a parent, if you had sent your kid to play for Rolovich, I mean, I guess if you're aligned with his views, then maybe you're okay with it. But it seems to me like you job the kids, you know, halfway through the season, he and four assistants are gone. Job the kids, job the assistants, job the families of the assistants, job the kids, you know. There's a, the, to me, okay, if you just if you're just way down that rabbit hole and you just believe that this is the worst thing that ever happened to our society and you're standing up for that and and you sacrifice three million dollars a year and a job and and may not get hired again at, at some point i guess i tip my cap to you and say man you are a principled dude mm -hmm. right if you sincerely hold those beliefs and whatever misinformation echo chamber you're in okay but if we can pull back and see the amount of lives that this decision has affected, it, from the outsider's perspective, seems incredibly selfish. I think he could have accomplished the same exact thing and actually spoken about it because he never spoke about it. So right. I don't even know what Marky really made. He could have done all that by walking a month before the season yeah, and been vocal all the way through the season and potentially gotten himself in better shape to get a job down the road. Believe me, he will not be jobless forever. Nope. The coaching fraternity is very tight. There are plenty of coaches who are probably, in a way, uh, cool with what Rolovich did. I just, the, To me, the process, I don't understand what purpose it served. Right. Well, and, yeah, I agree with you. He's not going to be unemployed forever. But what about some of the assistants? You know, uh, maybe that's their first – I don't know. I, I think he's just affected a lot of people's lives and, you know – if it's just him walking the plank, okay, but it's not. It's it's him and assistants and their families. And, and some of those lower-level assistants don't make a whole heck of a lot of money. So being out of a job for weeks to them, I'm sure, is a big deal. Uh, it just, from my perspective, not knowing the man, not knowing what he believes, not knowing what sort of echo chamber he's in, it just seems incredibly selfish. Three six four eleven hundred three six four one one zero zero. We'll do uh, caller seven. We had a winner earlier of our uh, ticket giveaway for Las Vegas Seltzerland. 
uh, winner just a couple minutes ago was David. Let's give a chance to uh, another person listening right now. It's Saturday, October 23rd. These are $40 tickets. You get a pair of tickets. Actually, they're $39. You can buy your own tickets for uh, the event at eventbrite.com. It's Las Vegas Seltzerland 2021. You can spend the afternoon over at Angel Park Golf Club tasting 30-plus unique hard seltzers. Two tickets going out right now. Uh, talk to Ari, 364-1100. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000 with your questions today. The few players who've chosen not to get vaccinated, particularly Kyrie because he's such a high-profile all-star player. I, you know, as I said, I wish that we had come to agreement and everybody was required to get vaccinated. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to present the facts only on Cofield and Company. Adam Silver, commissioner of the NBA, you know, talking about the fact that most of the league, the overwhelming story in the league is that they did get vaccinated, but Kyrie Irving uh, dominating some headlines. A couple of other notes on uh, vaccinations. We were talking about Nick Rolovich, the Washington State, co- uh, State coach, going bye-bye. On Monday after a long standoff, Power 5 school doesn't have a coach now. Interim will move into uh, the gig. I saw the numbers from uh, the MGM. Uh, Bill Hornbuckle was saying that less than 2% of the workers uh, sub- subject to the uh, company's vaccine mandate quit rather than get the vaccine. So 90 out of 6,000. Flip side of that, uh, Mayor de Blasio in New York has he's got a, a battle on his hands. He ordered all city employees to get vaccinated. The police union, not NYPD, but the police union is criticizing that and is now vowing to fight the mandate in court. How does that work? They're going to lose. I'm going to tell you that. I mean, I guess with one exception, if the state employees in the state of New York have collective bargaining rights and strike rights based on CBAs, then then maybe they can argue that this is not contemplated in the CBA. But, I mean, frontline workers... <laughs> who are employed by the state, how I I don't understand the argument that they can come up with that they have a right to choose to not be vaccinated and potentially expose those that we pay them to help with to the virus. I I, I don't understand that that line of thinking, that logic. I don't understand if they go to and and challenge that outside of the CBA. Like I said, if it, if it's contemplated by the CBA, CBA, and there is a process for adding vaccinations and they have to go through that process, that that's the only thing I could see. Otherwise you're getting paid by the state to be a frontline worker, to be exposed to a whole bunch of people. Um, and we have the right to mandate that you, uh, get vaccinated so you don't spread the virus the number one cause of death in 2020 to police officers was COVID nationwide. So it's in their best interest as well. Justin Watkins, our legal insider. All right, let's get to the NFL. Mark Davis, John Gruden, Dan Snyder, the National Football League. Seems like there's something going on here with this email leak. Yeah. Does Mark Davis, there's whispers behind the scenes. Davis hasn't said anything that Davis is mad. It's mad. feels like the league is coming after him how do these things leak they had him since june does he have a case i think so if if he does yeah if if he can point to the league doing this for for vindictive purposes for the purpose of getting gruden fired or pushed out then there is a civil remedy a civil cause of action with a remedy that says 
that if you intentionally interfere with somebody's contractual relationship with somebody else for purposes of getting that contract to be broken, then any damages that are a consequence, you can sue for that. And now the damages is sort of a tricky situation in this context because a lawyer, a, a good lawyer could argue, we saved you a whole bunch of money. You were in a really bad contract with a coach who had been losing here. And so we did you a favor. Uh, you, you were not actually damaged by it. But generally speaking, there's a contract principle that talks about specific performance. And that is when I enter into a contract for personal services, I have a right to choose who that person is. And it's not as simple to say any substitute will do. I contracted with that specific purpose per, per person for that specific purpose. And once you take that away, by definition, I am damaged. Justin, what would qualify as intentionally trying to get that person um, out of their contract fired? Uh, because I, I mean, I don't want to think that there that there's an email in there that says, let's go get John Gruden. But I would assume that the standard has to be something different than that. I would think the intentional releasing or leaking of the email is would be sufficient. That act being intentional. If there had been a leak that was accidental, so some, some something in the IT world, um, somebody ha hacked and they didn't have the firewall upright or something, then I don't think you would have that cause of action. But if there is somebody Goodell at Goodell's direction because he's angry about what the email says about him or a Goodell loyalist who is angry because he loves Goodell and want or she and and wants Gruden to pay or just somebody who doesn't like Gruden or doesn't like Davis and wants different ownership or different coaching in Vegas and they don't care about the emails themselves they just see it as an as a mechanism to uh to maneuver or manipulate the ownership group then all those things i think would would be considered intentional in the eyes of a civil court and absolutely would be actionable just there's also a story out here uh, on the fox news website that says one of the cheerleaders from the washington football team former uh who's involved in the legal action against franchise believes that Dan Snyder himself uh, was somehow responsible for the leak of the emails. Uh, in that case, uh, if that were true, would John Gruden himself be able to, to do anything about that? Because uh, we've heard a lot about the league itself doing it. We haven't heard as much about Snyder. It's an interesting uh, dichotomy that would exist in the potential causes of action if it was Snyder. Because Snyder's in theory, his motive for doing it is not anything to do with John Gruden. Uh, it has to do with Bruce Allen and protecting himself, right? That's the theory this cheerleader has come up with, that Dan Snyder is going to pin all of the bad uh, workplace environment issues on Bruce Allen and is going to use the release of the emails to, as a basis to do that. Now, here's where it gets interesting there. Bruce Allen used his Washington football team, Redskins at the time, email account. Dan Snyder is the owner of the team. In theory, those are his emails. It's his property, 
and his if he were to be the one to release it he has every right to do so it's it's his it's his property um if it was bruce allen communicating on a personal email and and dan snyder came into possession of that and then released it we would be talking differently but this is his server his email accounts that bruce allen used to communicate and in theory what bruce allen communicates to other people outside of the 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 team is his business he does depending on what the employment contract he may have the right to review those in real time uh, probably does have the right to review those in real time but in the, at the end of the day those emails in fact are his and so it wouldn't be a violation of any of anybody's rights if he were to be the one to release them so that's it, it's it's a totally different analysis if it's dan snyder that's a wrap that's a, wrap. That's a wrap. Tonight, we're back, 9 o'clock, at Steve Cofield, up on YouTube as well, with the uh, legal podcast, Law and & Sporter. And then you're not going to sleep. I guess the cold weather means that you hit the road, and what are you doing? Yeah, I got I to head up. And, well, I didn't I didn't get my deer on my, my hunting tag uh, a couple weeks ago. I still have some, some season left. So, um, you know, best time is first light. So as soon as we get done, oh I'll uh, head up there and be up there for first light and then sleep during the day when the deer are sleeping and, if I don't get anything, go back out at night and do it again the next morning. Dogged determination. That's right. Got to fill right. the freezer. Nice job. Got to fill the freezer. Uh, we'll come back with Brian Blessing. Continue on uh, the Vegas Golden Knights and the outlook for this week in these three big games against the Blues, against the Whalers, and the Islanders. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today. Weird as it was, I saw it. You know, I saw it, and I just tried to put a good swing on it. It's one of those things, you know, ball's coming in hard, shadows you're dealing with. So uh, I saw it well, and I tried to barrel it up, and uh, I just tried to get Will home. Like I said, just continue to barrel up the ball and pass the baton. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Let's talk some hockey, a little sports gambling. Brian Blessing, Sports Grid Radio on Sirius XM 204 is with Candy and Cofield. Brian, how you doing, buddy? Hey, fellas. What's up? A lot's up. Uh, we got some baseball going on right now. We had uh, Houston come in as a small dog against Chris Sale. 2-2 series. They are threatening in the top of the sixth. Astros up one nothing in that one. Uh, what do you think of last night? You heard Clay, or I always call him Clay Bellinger. God, I'm stuck in Yankee <laughs> utility player. I don't That is ridiculous, by the way. Cody Bellinger is an established player and MVP. Uh, what do you think of that last night? That was crazy, and I know a lot of the uh, new age uh, analytics people hate the word clutch, but that was pretty clutch. Uh, it was clutch, and the Strohs are scoring as we speak. Uh, um, looks like a run rule double in the corner, 3 nothing. Houston, top six, one out. Tough one. It was a meatball. It served a meatball right down the middle. Yeah. I mean, still going. This is a series I can't win because I can't stand the Astros, but I'm certainly not rooting for the Red Sox, my God. Oh, no, this is is the lesser of two horrific evils. (laughs) I love it. I love it. All right, well, let's get into uh, some of the stuff going on around the Golden Knights. First of all, is it unique to come out with – uh, two games in a couple of days, and basically have like a week off after. It's really, to me, it's like a weird scheduling quirk to open the season. Yeah, we talked about that leading up to it. Going, you do all this work, you get started, and then all of a sudden you got rink rust. But actually, it really served the team well 
with the injuries that they're dealing with right now. But, yeah, beyond odd. It sounds like they've lucked out a bit. We don't know the you know specifics of the injury length of time, but uh, lower body with Mark Stone, what are we hearing? I don't know. I'm, I mean, <laughs> somewhere, wait a minute, somewhere between day-to-day and week-to-week. Well, thanks for nothing. I mean, I, what does that mean? I, I mean? Listen, when they said day-to-day further evaluation, that was real ominous to me. I'm thinking surgery, God knows what it could have turned into. But so day-to-day, week-to-week, somewhere between there, I'd never heard this before. I think it buys them 10 days to don't ask me questions about it, and then at some point people start asking them again, but, you know, how bad is this? Brian, in terms of the practical impact here, it's one thing to lose Pacioretty. It's one thing to lose Stone. It's another thing to basically lose your whole top line at that point because those are the two guys who make that line. Then, you know, Stevenson regularly, but they threw a whole bunch of guys between those two uh, at various points during uh, the last couple of seasons. So uh, where do you even start if you're Pete DeBoer in terms of reimagining, you know, how your top nine looks? Well, you stick with Carlson, Marge, So and Smith, so you have that, but that's it in terms of what we're consistently dealing with. So the other teams, one would think, would put their try to, although you know Vegas gets the last change, get their best checking line against these guys. But even before Stone and Pacioretty went down, and I'm watching this team, and the first four years, the third, the fourth line, there was a flow. It was, it was like a greased wheel. This team looks top-heavy with the first line, Marjo Carlson and Smith, and now... The first line's decimated, obviously. I just don't know, you know, the goal production from the third and the fourth line. And not that you're counting on that, but it's just they remind me at the moment of the Boston Bruins. And the Bruins are top-heavy. Their first line is maybe the best first line in hockey. And then they got three other lines that are out there killing time, and those guys keep scoring goals and they keep winning games. Vegas just at the moment looks incredibly top-heavy to me. So they're going to need some offense from the blue line. They're going to need Martinez maybe to help out on the power play. Theodore's got to lug the mail a little more. And I think Petrangelo, you'll be looking for these guys to be jumping into the play. So they're going to, I really believe they're going to need the defense to help generate offense. Sounds like that could mean more opportunities the other way for the opposition. So what do I do tonight? What do I bet? Uh, Knights are minus 125. Uh, What side do I bet? And also the total. Uh, just based, it's only a couple of games for each team. What do the Blues have, like 20 total game uh, goals in their games? And I think the Knights are at 15 total goals. What do we do? Uh, honestly, I'm staying away. They're only the two games. I would say this. I, I'd look at St. Louis if I had to. Yeah. And then generally speaking, I'd look at this and say Vegas should play a dump and chase game, although they should have known they should have done that against Montreal and it took them four games to figure that out. So I would play the under – but here's the thing, Steve. Hockey betting is unbelievable. The angles and the things, history repeats itself time and time and time and time and time again, year after year after year. I don't know why, but in the first four years, Vegas games with St. Louis are the most ridiculous, crazy track meet games, 5-4, 6-5, overtime. You know, there's nothing that says to you this game should be a track meet tonight. But historically, that's the way these two teams have played each other. I mean, what makes sense is to bet the under, but knowing that they play that way, I'm just I'm going to watch. Looking at uh, Alan Walsh's Twitter account. Oh, what did he do now? 
it's just, I, I don't know, it's kind of gone dormant and quiet. Um, listen, I'm rooting for Marc-Andre Fleury, but what's happened here out of the gates with Fleury and the Blackhawks? Uh, well, I stupefied by that one, maybe more than anything, because I thought the Blackhawks had the best offseason of anybody, and they should get, you know, right out of the gate, get all these guys new Timexes, because they don't know what time the game starts. I mean, they're down three nothing like every game in the blink of an eye. Uh, is it you know? And, and Flurry was hung hung out to dry in the opener against the Abs. I mean, he's not been great, but he's not the problem. I mean, he's been on an island. Brian, around the league, what is the situation with uh, Tyler Bertuzzi? Uh, he can't travel to Canada. This is one of the guys who is not vaccinated and kind of a key player. No. Yeah, no. He he had said uh, a while back. He wasn't going to get the vaccine, so on the way in, they knew he would not be able to cross the border. Mm. Uh, Brian, something we've been talking about during the show because it's gotten a little buzz on social media the last couple of days, and being around the the betting world, I think I know we've all seen it. Um, obviously, we see with all new betters as legal sports betting grows, they've been pushed to parlays, and they're being pushed now to this idea of same game parlays and betting. You know. God only knows how many outcomes within within a single game uh, and, and kind of having it pushed from some of the content providers uh, as well. I mean, what are your thoughts on this in terms of, you know, is this something that's that's taking advantage of novice betters or, or do you think it's just a buyer beware situation? I, I, I got to be honest with you. You stumped me on this one, Adam. I, I don't mean to stump you. I, I'll talk to you about the idea of parlays in general, right? Like if we oh, just parlays. talk about the idea of, well, I will tell you this. I've landed on, in terms of, yeah, the parlay is a sucker bet. Sure, the, the books want you to, you know, they want you to play parlays. But I think in hockey, first period of overs, uh, you, you know, no one wants to lay a dollar thirty, But you could hook up three first period overs that are minus $1.30 and get the overlaid price. There's a way to manage it where the parlay is your friend. But generally speaking, the books are doing a car wheel there. Of course, they, why do you think uh, they killed Forrest every week putting up the parlay cards? Yeah. Uh, Brian, this was actually the, the parlay that was getting a lot of attention the last couple of days, the same game parlay that uh, Candy was referencing. It was Monday Night Football. Uh, someone recommended Titans plus six, Bills money line, Bills first half minus three and a half, Bills first half team total over 14 and a half. Come on. Yeah, it's... it's <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'll have the left side of the Chinese menu, please. Yeah, yeah. The, I, uh, oh, but hey, by the way, on the hockey game, it just dawned on me. I do have something yeah. to bet tonight. Okay. Dave, David Perron to score a goal. Like It'd be over 2-1. to one. This guy kills Vegas every time he plays him. They played two games so far. He scored a goal in each. Okay. I'll, say, I'll say Perron scores a goal tonight. So Perron gets motivated, the emotion. the Always the, does. The, the adrenaline is flowing. Uh, what was going on with you? on Monday night when you're watching the Bills and uh, uh, it looked like a lateral deal there. You got all worked up, didn't you, on the Titans? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Vrabel, Vrabel's going to throw throw the lateral or the, the whatever, the cross field lateral on the punt. Sure. Oh, okay, great. God bless you. You know, you're going to roll that out. It's in your record. <laughs> but you're going to stick a fork. In, in, and I mean, I, I don't know. These guys are all gone, right? The the, the Bill's players, they probably don't even know what that was. My blood was boiling. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, if you're up 42, you know, I want an onside kick, score again. 
Yeah, that, that, that I'm sorry. That's that's poking the bear, man. After yeah. that Music City Miracle nonsense, which was a forward lateral. It's Vrabel. He learned out the feet of Belichick. Uh, oh, give me a couple, yeah, believe give me a couple of football angles. Uh, Seahawks and Saints, the total, we're looking all the way ahead to the end of the week, but the total is 42 and a half. Going against the grain. How about this? I'm back in Geno Smith and Winston. Yeah. Uh, New Orleans coming off a bye, and I know Winston's kind of Jekyll and Hyde, but I think Geno Smith is, you know, each week he starts to get a little bit better. He's still got Metcalf. He's still got Lockett. But these are two guys very similar in, like, quote-unquote, resurrecting their career. If you think about it, Winston, for a couple of years, learns from Breeze. Geno Smith learned something from Russell Wilson. It's a ridiculously low total. I, I just think for whatever reason that they put a lot of points up. And those guys, actually, those two put on a little mini show on Monday night. Uh, in college, ACC, you got anything on, uh, I don't know. I'll pick one randomly now. I know, I know you want uh, to talk about this game. Georgia Tech and Virginia. <laughs> what, a, what a great random pick, Steve. Now, I know, right? No, you know what? Um, Georgia Tech and Virginia used to be the two most plotty, methodical, you know, Georgia Tech had the wishbone offense or the option offense. They're scoring points in bunches, as is Virginia. And Mendenhall's a defensive coach. So there's two things here. The weather looks good in Charlottesville. It's going to be a gorgeous day. I think they go over the 63. But Virginia is kind of like that Florida State team about four years ago where they'd be asleep at the switch and be behind every half and then come flying back and win, you know, come back, win the game. So you faded them in the first half. You played them in the second half. Virginia's like a jackrabbit, you know. They're like kind of rusty coming out of the starting gate at the dog track. Like Virginia minus four in the first half and over 63 for the game. There you go. All right, Brian. Sounds like you're a little sick. I hope you feel better, dude. I feel fine, man. That 50-mile-an-hour win thing last week. You yeah. know, I got the I got the Vegas crud fighting it. It's, it's getting better. There you go. Well, it sounds like it. All right, Brian. We'll talk to you. All right, fellas. Have a great day. Poor Brian Blessing. He has to do a show every day. He's doing podcasts, and then uh, we make him do this spot. And uh, he did sound like he had crud in the throat. Definite crud in the throat. All right, 4 o'clock hours on the way. Football frenzy. Is coming up. We'll also talk to uh, Football Insider on Wednesdays, College Football Insider, Rebel Football Insider, Caleb Herring. Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.